For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. This is the Kane's Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget that you can download or subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes or Google Play stores or listen to WRALsportsfan.com and on our WRAL Sports Fan app. Now, here's your Kane's Corner Podcast host, Adam Gold. Welcome to another edition of the Kane's Corner Podcast, our first post-trade deadline podcast the voice of the Hurricanes, John Forsland, is alongside. Thank you very much for doing this. Is these are obviously fun times, but I want to ask. I want to start with our commissioner's visit because I think it was cool to have Gary Bettman here uh, this past Tuesday. Came at uh, right after the trade deadline. Teams in the midst of a uh, you know a, a torrid streak. It's they've been. It's beyond. Uh, it's beyond hot. But uh, what was your take? On the Gary Bettman visit, was it was it a there was a little bit more juice because the team's playing well. There's the talk of the outdoor game. What's your ultimate read on the visit of Gary Bettman? You know, I thought in uh, all the times that, that that he's come here and he's had various meetings with government officials and team officials and so on, he was about as loose and relaxed as I've ever seen him. And I don't know if. Uh, the way the team is in terms of their chemistry and the attitude that they've been able to uh, put on full display has rubbed off on him a little bit. (laughs) And he too is having some fun, but I I thought one of the greatest things about his visit was the fact that he had an informal get together with the players the morning of the game, long before their team meetings, long before their morning skate and just kind of had a discussion about the surge and what they're doing and the fact that he's noticed and, thinks it's terrific and uh, and God bless you and that kind of thing. So um, I, I thought it was uh, really neat to have him here and say the things he did about the market, which I think is very important at this, mm-hmm. at this juncture. And I think the uh, opportunity and potential for the outdoor game is very real and it's all good. Yeah, it was, it was, it was cool. And he, he came on with us and he was probably on uh, about 10 or 15 minutes longer than we normally would have had somebody like him on um, because it was essentially, it was just like taking shots at each other. He took shots at me. I mean, Bettman and I, Joe, Joe thinks we were separated from uh, at birth. A uh, cu- cu- couple of five-foot, seven-inch guys from Queens, New York, giving each other a hard time. That's 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 what it's all about, isn't it? And uh, I saw the I saw the photo of the three of you, and uh, I said, "Wow, that's that's way too happy and way too comfortable." But uh, it's a long way from the discussions uh, back in 0405 during the canceled season, right? So yeah, absolutely, um, yeah, that's all in the rearview mirror. Let's hope that will continue. Let's hope there is labor peace in in a couple of years. They don't have to go go down that road again, but. He gets a lot of criticism, and a lot of people take their shots just because of his position, who he is, and the type of controversy they had to work through as a commissioner with this league. But I think he's done a remarkable job, in my opinion. I think he's an excellent commissioner for the National Hockey League, and I know he believes in this market. 
And I think right. it's very important that he said what he did at the time he said it. I think it's very important. Yeah, and then you, uh, you, you, you kind of, on the back of that, you look at this stretch, 19-6-1 since New Year's Eve, and it'll, it'll get us right into, uh, first of all, I was hoping that once the game was over and the Los Angeles Kings had skated off the ice, that Gary would have put on a bunch of jerks t-shirt for the celebration, but we couldn't. He, I mean, he's he's in a suit and tie, so it's going to be hard for him. Yeah, he's got to be careful with that. But <laughs> he did, he did have some interesting things to say about it, and I think uh, uh, somebody in his position, Adam, they probably said about as much as he could say, right, uh, positively about about that. Yeah, and the truth is, I don't think we want to see other teams around the league do it. Uh, let no. this be uniquely uh, the thing of the Carolina Hurricanes. All right, so the deadline is passed. Most of the Eastern Conference didn't uh, didn't do any adding, really, save for one uh, one team. There were some moves, but nothing uh, nothing major. Only Columbus really went bananas uh, at the day, uh, trade deadline, and you could argue that Carolina's move happened uh, in January when they acquired Nino Niederreiter from uh, Minnesota for Victor Rask. Um, and maybe the best move you know that you make is the one you don't make. Because they could have traded one of their defensemen for scoring. And yeah. where could they have potentially been if that had happened? Yeah, I don't know. We, we've, we've talked about this. I, 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 for one, would never sacrifice defensemen just because you need something else. Unless it brought a number one or number two type center or a real good three center that can play behind Stall and Ajo, right. uh, that's, that you can lock in for scoring, that you have term, that you have you have everything moving forward with that one specific player. I don't think that deal was out there. And the way this, this group of six have played during this stretch, I wouldn't sacrifice a defenseman, in my opinion. I just think they're too valuable. They're too good. Uh, they're as good a, a, a group of defensemen as there are in the National Hockey League, you know, one through six. There are other teams that have an outstanding one, an outstanding one-two, maybe a great top four. But when you get, you know, into the five-six pairing and you're throwing out, you know, DeHaan and Van Riemsdyk the way they've played, <laughs> that's you got to go a long way to find that. So I think that's the core of this team, the strength of it, a big reason why they played the way they have since New Year's Eve. And um, I'm, I'm glad that they did what they did. And certainly, if you just look at one game and one message. You know, the message was sent the day before the Los Angeles game that this is the group. Uh, okay, message received, and then they rolled out that effort against the Kings to kind of throw it right back at management and say, "Thank you very much. We believe in this group here, and we're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna we're gonna make our run and, and prove you right." Hey, you and I talked about it the day of when we were uh, uh, talking prior to the Kings game. Um, I mean, in a way, this group, this 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 is the team. That went 19, at that point, it was 18-6-1 before the Kings right. game. This is the group that did this, right. that turned a 15-17-5 record almost at the bottom of the conference into a team that right now is third in the Metropolitan Division. Columbus will play, we're recording this on Thursday night. Columbus will play at home against Philadelphia on Thursday night. So chances are Carolina wakes up Friday morning back in a wild card spot as opposed to being inside uh, in the top three in the Metropolitan Division. But, I mean, I could argue that this team deserved the right to stay together. 
Uh, there are a lot of different ways you can look at it, and I think Rod Brindamore liked hearing that from somebody not in the organization, but I think, uh, I don't know, Rod, Rod likes me for some reason. <laughs> He's a good judge of character, oh, is that, right? Is so that he, it? He, okay. Yeah, he is. And But, you know, unless the only way anything really would have worked is if, say, for instance, they were in on Mark Stone. Right. And and you go out and you uh, decide you're going to sacrifice a tremendous amount of future, which probably would have included a package with uh, Marty Natchez in it, um, draft choices, the whole nine yards of future, and, and give that to Ottawa and then sign this player long term, you know, to just under $10 million a year. If you're, if you're going to do that, that's not going to disrupt your internal chemistry. That's right. going to prove to the team you're serious about winning and you're making a huge investment and he's going to walk in the locker room like he, like he did in Las Vegas. And they're going to say, Hey, welcome. This is, this is terrific. But when you start taking away pieces of the guys who have been responsible for building this here and disrupting what is a a remarkable chemistry, um, that's a little bit different. So if you sacrifice a key player and you bring in another guy, you never know how that's going to work. And I think that's why a lot of teams in the Eastern conference just said, okay, we are who we are, let's go, and let's see where it takes us. And I think that's what happened there. And the only potential move, the other move they could have made was with Michael Furland, and I think that's a tough one too because I think the team had been holding out for a while for a a pretty good return, which might have included a first-round pick. I don't think that was realistic on the deadline day, but that's basically, I think, that's what they were holding out for. So they just decide, let's go with him. Uh, He likes it here. We like him. Uh, we'll put all this to rest. We'll cross the bridge when we have to uh, in the off season with him and see what he wants to do and, and go from there. And Michael Furland now has to play for a contract that can only benefit the Hurricanes and nobody else. So um, good moves, I think. Yeah. I, look, again, there, there's so many ways you could approach it. Yeah, I mean, I think they probably did, uh, you know, f- make a call, field a call about somebody like a Mark Stone or maybe even a Matt Duchesne because you were talking about a center uh, and Duchesne is certainly uh, all of that. Uh, so he could have slotted in in the middle, and this is something that the organization he- – heck, they're really not even playing with four centers now because Jordan Martinook uh, is still centering <laughs> the third right. line. Uh, right. And Rod Brindamore uh, – I mean, there are certain things where you just can't explain why things work. Like there's no – there's. I mean, on paper you wouldn't look at that and say, yeah, that'll work. Uh, but that line has been oddly effective – uh, in spite of the fact that they don't win face, they don't win faceoffs, uh, and right now, really nobody's uh, all that offensively productive. Actually, maybe Brock McGinn's been the most offensive, uh, offensively productive player on that line of late. Yeah, that line's been uh, one of those combinations because I, I was there when Rod was considering it and, and talked about it before the first time uh, they played together and all this. It was one of those deals where he just kind of put the names on the sheet of paper and shrugged his shoulders and said, we don't really have much of a choice. Let's, <laughs> let's see how this goes. But as you know, Martinuk um, is a Swiss army knife. Yeah. You know, he, he can, he can move throughout your lineup and he has a remarkable relationship with Svechnikov and, and that's been great to watch all season. And I, I think I've said this to you. I know I've said it to Alec, um, when, when Andrei Svechnikov is years down the road into his career, and hopefully it's one that has him as a star player, he's going to remember that in his rookie year, there was a guy named Jordan Martinuk, and he really got me through my first season. And now that they're on the same line, I think that chemistry kind of plays 
plays right into what they're doing. And McGinn, um, you know, had, had a real frustrating first two months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he too is playing for a contract, you know, albeit RFA, but he's he's restricted, but he's playing for it. And he had his 16 goals last year, and he was, looked like he was going to struggle to get one at one point during the <laughs> right. season. You know, but now because of his hard work and the grinding nature and all of that, that's a line that's effective at this time of the year. That line will will translate into a lot of great things um, in playoff-style hockey because they're the line that, you know, might not be earmarked by the other side. They're the line that brings a lot of diligence. And then at the end of the game, you look and you say, wow, look at the role they played. You know, and, and, and again, in Martinuk's case, they're key penalty killers. So they're a big part of what they've been doing but they got there accidentally but when things start to fall into place like this team seems to be and when we get through the month of march we'll know if they're a team of destiny or not those are the things that happen those are the stories that you look at and you say wow that's hard to duplicate i I kind of look at them as almost they're like the barometer for uh for this team when 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 caroline is playing their game it's generally because Martinuk, McGinn, Svechnikov on the forecheck, they're behind the defense, uh, creating havoc. I, I, to me, it, it's indicative. They're a very noticeable line. Uh, and, again, I just don't think there's any rhyme or reason <laughs> why. Nope. I mean, I call them the leftovers. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great way to describe it that's a, because that's what it is, and that's how it was put together. And it was a coach that was getting a little bit frustrated because of the stall injury. What do you do? Um, How's this going to work? And, um, and sometimes, you know, it doesn't have to be this stroke of brilliance. It's just like, ah, let's give it a shot. And then lo and behold, there you are. But I think when you look at all three guys in in two thirds of it with McGinn and and Martinuk, you look at the way they play. I don't think it's a surprise because they've, they've shown that they can play with anybody and they're, they're team players. They kind of depict the identity of this group. And then you have a, a young player who, you know, shows his flashes of greatness, also shows uh, issues at times defensively, uh, taking penalties, being caught out of position, all the things you would ex- expect from an 18-year-old. But Svechnikov, has, with this group and this coach, has been allowed to be an 18-year-old. And I think that's great because they did not take an 18-year-old and try to make him 23 and try to make him an all-star, even if he wasn't there, still trying to force-feed the ice time and the one-on-one top-end matchups that you know might frustrate a player like that to the point where he loses his confidence. I'm sure there have been times this season where Chechnikov has fought his confidence, but in that situation, he can just look to number 48, and 48's laughing at him. And, <laughs> and, they're, and they're having a good time getting through you know his baptism in the National Hockey League. So... I think it's going to play out great for the team in this season and beyond. You know, in the in the last eleven games, he's only taken two penalties. Yes, isn't that, <laughs> isn't that something? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is uh, absolutely remarkable. Uh, I don't want to wait till the end and then rush through a conversation about Rob Brindamore uh, okay. because I think that there were a there were a fair amount of skeptics about yep. whether or not, certainly among the fan base, uh, right away I think you and I were on the same page where let's not, let's not overthink this. The, the best candidate, the person who, would, uh, who is more invested in this than anybody else you could bring in is right there uh, in Rod Brindamore who played for a cup, won a cup, uh, you know, 
bled for the for the he's the best hurricane ever. I mean, all respect to Eric Stahl and Ron Francis, there is ne- there there has never been a better Carolina Hurricane, in my opinion, anyway, than Rod Brindamore. Right. But right. and but people kept looking at well, he's never been a head coach anywhere. He's got no experience. He was with Kirk Muller and Bill Peters, no playoff experience. To me, the stability and the consistency of of Brindamore has been maybe the most impressive thing that he has been able to give this team. Well, you know, uh, when you when you look at this and uh, look back to the summer and the conversations that we had, and, and one of them, uh, I, I said I had never been more excited about anything the Hurricanes have done um, over the last few years than the appointment of Rod Brindamore. And the only reason that I felt that way is because as everything you just said is, is bang on, and, and, and this was the only guy that I think could take over a situation like this and 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 start it and and see where he he could take it but i heard all the criticism too and i heard people that said uh, you know that he would be in over his head um he he can't uh, he can't run the power play how's he going to run the team um you know um uh, he got he got put in the same bin with whatever happened with bill peters in the four years and there were some good things that happened when bill was coaching here there's no question but the thing about rod is and i i really draw a, a, a parallel to what happened when he became the captain for the first time is he was a tremendous player, a, a tremendous player behind Ron Francis in the early years. And because of Ronnie and who he is and, and, you know, he's a hall of fame person and all of that. Um, Rod could never spread his wings and put his own imprint on, on the team as a player. But once Ron retired and he was out, then Rod took over the room. And it was during that canceled season, that lockout year, that we had some time together. And I said, I can't wait to watch this. And he looked at me and goes, are you serious? I said, yeah, I can't wait because I think, you know, you can finally put your arms around everything here and, and, and it's going to be significant. And, you know, I was just talking about him becoming a captain. I didn't forecast the success mm-hmm. the team would have or a championship or anything like that. I just thought it was a natural progression for him to come out of his shell. And what's happened here this year is he's come out of his shell as a coach. And and he went into it, and he never changed who he is. He never changed um, his beliefs. He remains, as I've always uh, described him, as a stubborn individual. <laughs> he was a stubborn athlete. He was stubborn about his preparation. He was stubborn about how he felt the game should and how it should be played. And he was stubborn to play against, and guys hated to play against him. And I see the same traits now as a coach. Even in the early part of the year where people were calling for line changes yeah. and a better use of Svechnikov and all these things, uh, he heard it all, and, and he, really didn't, he really didn't care. He just said, you know what, I, I believe this is the way it should be, and I'm going to stick to my guns. And, that, and that's tremendous. And the other thing about Roddy, as you know, is he's an intelligent guy who put in the work. And he worked hard as an assistant coach. He put in a lot of hours, a lot of video time, a lot of the things that uh, people don't see in terms of an apprenticeship to become a head coach. So a lot of people just figured, oh, he's Rod Brindamore. He's the great player that now is going to become the Wayne Gretzky head coach of the Arizona Coyotes, the Larry Bird head coach of the Indiana Pacers, the Ted Williams coach of the Texas Rangers at one point, right? Wow. And and those, how about that? And and <laughs> and and those things and those things didn't work. And and so then people say, well, because they were great players. But 
Roddy's relatable. He relates to everybody. He relates to us as members of the media. Yeah. He relates to the fans. He related to Chad LaRose at one point and got the best out of him as a, as a guy who was a severe long shot to play in the NHL and turned into a 20-goal scorer because he did everything Rod Brindamore told him to do and got him to the, a level that you know exceeded everybody's expectations. So this has been a terrific story, and, and I think he's, a, he's in for the long haul. He's born to do this. And uh, he might be the last guy to find out, but he I believe that. And I think it's been uh, just tremendous to watch. And I also think there is some synergy with a guy he played with who is now the captain, who is also finally getting his chance to, as you yeah. said, wrap his arms around it. Uh, I think we all agree that Justin Williams, at the very least, should have been uh, given a letter uh, last year, probably the C. Uh, and I think that that had something to do with uh, some inconsistencies within the team last year. Uh, but he is, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities, even though they're completely different people. There's a lot of similarities between Justin Williams and Rod Brindamore. Absolutely. And I think the, the part about it is they're real and they're both real people. And, and because of that, you know, it's a it's a what you see is what you get. And there's there's nothing else to cloud it. There, there's no arrogance about either one of these guys that is going to get in the way of what they're attempting to say and and do. And those are the two things that are most important about a, a leader in a in a professional environment is what you say, but what you say better be what you do. And in, in Justin Williams' case, that's how he does it. He goes about it a completely different way than Rod did. Um, he, he's, he's glib. He's got a lot of personality rise, very serious when he was a player. Uh, a lot of people in the media didn't really take to Rod Brindamore because he, he wasn't one for the cameras. He did it, but he really wasn't one for that. Justin is a showman. He, he, he comes off that way and, and he, he plays with a high level of energy and love for the game. And he's just a terrific guy and a terrific man. And, and he loves this franchise. And Rod Brindamore loves this franchise. And that's why at this point in time, just like Bettman coming in here and saying what he did for the fans and for the market and for the future of the Hurricanes, it's very important that this happens. And it's very important that the Brindamore, the most significant player to ever play for this franchise, is the head guy. And that Justin Williams, who when he's finished, when he's finished, I'm sure he's going to be here and, and hopefully work for the team. And I, and I hope that's that will carry on because you have to have identity again. That this this franchise lost its identity over the last nine years, and this is just the beginning. I hope of recapturing that and and taking it to a new place. What do you make of the way Williams has played? I mean, the leadership is great. He's a real. I mean, all of that stuff is great. Um, but in this stretch, nineteen six and one. 10 goals, 11 assists, 21 points, 26 games. He's a plus seven. He's playing 18 minutes a game, which I don't think anybody believed that Justin Williams was going to be an effective 18-minute-a-night player. But he, you could make the argument that he's been their best player over the over this stretch. He's, right. he's taken his game to a level that we all kind of figured was, and it would be understandable, that was behind him. Right, and, and the pace. That's what I'm amazed at. The, the one thing you would think, because he's never been the quickest guy, right. is that the pace in the, of the league would catch up to him at some point. And certainly at the beginning of the season, at the end of last year, you were thinking, well, 
uh, you know, he's going to be 37. What's, <laughs> what's this going to look like in the second year of his contract? Well, in the second half of his second year of the contract, he, he looks like he did in 06. So it, it's, a, it's amazing how this is uh, kind of morphed to here. And uh, I don't know. I just, I just think he has a, a newfound energy. And, um, and, and, and I think he's a, a, another one of these guys, too, that can, at times, he can, he can slow the game down a little bit and hang on to the puck a little bit longer because of his experience, and that helps the Hurricanes play better. You know, I think when they were frustrated at the beginning of the season with a lack of scoring, even though the analytic numbers were great, the shot totals were great, the scoring chances maybe were great, but I still think a lot of it was on the outside and the goalies every night were coming in here, no matter who they were. And they were the first star. I think they were hurrying and they were going way too fast. They were hurrying themselves through scoring chances. And I think by Williams having success and, and, and the team kind of uh, uh, coming together a little bit offensively, he's a perfect fit again, because he's one guy that doesn't have a high panic level with the puck and he can slow it down. So I think all of that has, uh, has rolled into the right place for him. And, uh, and I think the other thing that's like Ray Whitney, because these guys have <laughs> a lot of personality, you forget a, how competitive they are and B how they prepare themselves to play. And Justin is doing something right off the ice to keep his level where it's at. And we kind of forget about it because he isn't Rod Brindamore. Rod Brindamore was known for that. So you knew he was in the gym. Well, yeah. Whitney was too. And Williams is too. They just don't jump out that way. Uh, it's yoga and green tea, I believe, <laughs> in the case of Justin <laughs> Justin Williams. He really is one of my – I actually – you know, here's an interesting thing. I love talking to Justin. I don't like interviewing him. Can you, yeah. get, can you get the distinction there? Yeah, he's, he's – he's, um, He's interesting to interview um, because he will uh, he will challenge you and he, he he's done it to you he's done it to me uh, you ask a question that that, that that kind of rubs him the wrong way it's interesting how he kind of gets to where he wants to go but right. uh, but he is he is a really honest and on point and um, and and calculated in terms of of, of what he says. And, um, and, and I, I like that. And I think that's what's rubbed off on every guy in the locker room. I think it's had, like you talked about Justin Falk. I think he was miscast as a captain, yeah. a co-captain. Uh, he didn't want that. And it showed. And he doesn't have to have it this year. But he's still part of the, the core. He's still part of the guys that have been here a long time. And, and he's right in there. I see it on the airplane. He's right in there the same card game with Justin Williams, you know, like that's the heavy duty one. That's the big one. And, um, and, and they're right there, but that's, that's the beauty of this whole thing. And, um, I knew he would be a great captain. I'm, I'm really happy to see this kind of fall into place. A couple of quick things before we wrap it up. John Forsland here on the Canes corner podcast. Uh, Jordan Stahl came back. He missed most of that. That has to hurt for a player as good as Jordan, uh, no matter what his body has gone through. And he's still relatively – he's probably an old, what, 32 or 33 because he's played yeah. so long. But uh, still a very good player, you know, especially in the role he's supposed to be in. Uh, that had to be tough for him to not only watch the team play well, and he's obviously happy for everybody, uh, but – it but he couldn't be a part of that. And now he is. Does he look quicker to you? I mean, it's only been two games. I get it. But I asked him about that. I said, are you, are you a sleeker? Are you a, uh, a refreshed 
Jordan Stahl. He laughed, but I think it, it might be true. Yeah, it might be true. And maybe if your your mental anguish is gone, this is really like Dr. Phil here. <laughs> if your mental if your mental anguish is gone, then maybe you got a little bit more of a jump in your step. And I see him smiling finally. Um, you see him, you know, kind of um, a little bit more outward with everybody and not ta- not taking everything on his shoulders, not taking everything and internalizing everything. And the one thing about this, if this team has, you know, gets to the postseason, uh, no matter what happens, the season is turning into a success. Um, it, it, finally, it'll, it'll vindicate a little bit of what he's put on himself. Now, he was brought here to make a difference, and it hasn't really made much of a difference. Um, he's done everything humanly possible to play um, and, and lead a team. And he's also, uh, you know, I think brought himself down along the way too. And he's been a frustrated athlete. He's been a guy who is searching for answers and just kind of, you know, very quietly would, would answer questions after games and then slump off to the changing room and off he would go. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the losses were starting to wear on him and the lack of postseason success and, and, and looking at, you know, maybe I never should have left Pittsburgh, that kind of thing. Cause then as soon as I got here, it didn't take long and my brother was gone, you know? So right. it really didn't work out the way it was supposed to, but it, it might because he deserves it. And if it does, there's nobody that's cared more about the hurricanes than Jordan Stahl. He really has. And it's, it's, uh, it's another one of these things that could turn into a wonderful story. Um, but, but he's, he's right on board with, uh, with, with having fun and enjoying himself. And, uh, and you're around him enough. You know, the yeah. way he is, he's a, he, he is a guy that likes to have some fun and, and he just didn't know how to uh, be comfortable in his own skin in the, in the past few seasons. And maybe now this is starting to rub off on him, but I had a, a, some time with him and, and Justin Williams last year uh, on an off night and um, two of the most frustrated professional athletes uh, I've ever come across in terms of the conversation we had and, and both, care deeply about the team and care deeply about where it was going and how many people are in the stands and all of that. And the fans don't realize that, but uh, that that's what I was privy to. And that's when I started to realize, you know what, um, if this ever did turn the corner, uh, maybe you just need to lighten up a little bit. And Williams is the type of guy that's put that, um, that type of attitude in place, you know, just to lighten up at the right times. And now that they're winning, it's a it's a lot of fun, right? So everybody's joined the party, and 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 he has too. I also think last year was just a very difficult personal year for oh, yeah. uh, for Jordan. Uh, and I saw one of the great, I know it's the little things that stick with you forever. Um, the it was the night after it was a blown it was a blown uh, lead. It might have even been that game against Boston. I don't remember uh, which one where they gave up. Uh, they had, I think a four one lead and gave it up and lost. That, I don't know five four six four right. whatever it was. Um, right. and Williams walked in the locker room and said nobody uh, eleven is off limits uh, tonight because it was just after he had come back and yeah. um, you know. Here's the great thing about Justin uh, as a person. I never, unless he's the first star, he's not. He doesn't talk after wins. Right. I've not. These are the things that I keep track of. He's never available after a win. He's all. He's but every loss. Yep. Fourteen. Fourteen sitting there. 
Uh, and you could tell that he's emotional about the loss, especially the one against the Rangers where he had 10 shots and uh, probably has nightmares thinking about Henrik Lundqvist. Um, right. But, yeah, he's he's available after every loss, not after wins. Uh, and maybe, I don't know, maybe that's leadership in a nutshell. Finally, before we uh, say goodbye, we used to talk about goaltending all the time. And why can't this team get goaltending? The Scott Darling experiment didn't work. How do you explain what McElhenney and Mrazek, or as I put it in my column the other night after the game on Tuesday, uh, Curtis with no vowels, uh, McElrazek, how do you exp- how do you explain this? It's hard to explain because if you were to you know draw it up and 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 certainly before the season started, um, no one in this market, unless you're a real true hardened hockey fan, would know who Curtis McElhaney is. Right. Um, so here's a guy who no one really knew who he was or what his career was all about, and he was a waiver claim and came here because he was on the scrap heap and. Darling got injured in the last preseason game, and now they're going to go to this guy. And uh, his very first game was exceptional, and he hasn't stopped since. In Mrazek's case, you have a, a guy who has been sensational and has been crummy, and the middle ground has been hard to find. And he's been a winner in the American Hockey League, a Calder Cup. He's been a highly decorated junior on a bad team that he kind of carried through a World Junior Tournament. And then in his career, like I said, absolutely sensational to put the team on his back, incredibly athletic. And then there were these games and, and long stretches where it looked like he couldn't stop a puck mm-hmm. and he gives up way too many rebounds. And who knows, maybe he doesn't belong in the National Hockey League. That's how he got here. And he takes a one-year deal with the idea that he's going to prove to everybody that he's worth a, a big contract and he's worth uh, you know number one status. And uh, both of these guys, I've never seen a combination like this play at the level that they've played at. I've never seen a combination enjoy each other's company like they do. There's absolutely no selfishness. Uh, and I've never seen a goalie coach in Mike Bales make decisions as to who plays and when like he has. Again, it's like the entire season. It's worked out perfectly. And um, uh, the level of goaltending that the, the Canes are getting right now, they're not going to win the Vesna Trophy. But the two of them combined are, are George Vesna. They're playing that great. If they were one guy, if it was Andre Vasilevsky or Pekka Rene or somebody else, Terry Price, you would say, look at those numbers. Those are He's going to win the Vesna trophy. Well, these two guys have Vesna numbers the way they've, they've played over this stretch. And so they're playing for their lives, too. Yeah. They want contracts, and I don't know what the Canes are going to do. Uh, we'll have a lot of fun during the summer Jeez. talking about where that goes. Um, they're going to need a number one goalie next year. I would assume that, you know, the time has come for Alex uh, Nadelgovich to become a number two mm-hmm. at the NHL level, at least. Um, so he's going to get every opportunity. I would think to do that. There's not much left for him to accomplish in the American hockey league. So they're going to have to get to that determination of, of where he's at and also decide where they're going to go. But as of right now, uh, this has been a remarkable story that you cannot explain because there is absolutely nobody in the hockey world. There isn't a scout, a manager, a broadcaster, a fan, person in the media. There isn't anybody that would have said, yeah, Caroline is onto it. They have Curtis McElhaney <laughs> and Peter Morozik. They have figured out their goaltending. No, nobody, nobody saw that. Uh, they, they didn't even say that on Christmas Day. Uh, nope. yeah, Mac is essentially a top five goalie in the NHL this year, 
Uh, and yep. that is absolutely remarkable. Mrazek's, you know, arguably uh, around between 15 and 20. And that's that's the combination you've got. So there haven't been too many, really haven't been too many bad nights for either guy. I mean, sometimes the save percentage numbers don't look as good. Like it, but it's hard to blame them for you know the game like in Buffalo where it just got wacky uh, in the uh, in the third period. But uh, these guys have been amazing, as you said to me the other day. Morazic won the game in Florida. He was spectacular he in yeah. Florida, and Ma- and McElhenney has done the same thing several nights. They've got, I think they've got five shutouts uh, combined. Morazic almost got, I guess, his fourth shutout uh, of the season if it weren't for the one goal. Uh, that he allowed in the third period against uh, the L.A. Kings. But anyway, McElhinney is about, he's four starts away from tying his career high in games started. He did that in yep. uh, with with Columbus in uh, yep. 15. So uh, four more starts, I'm guessing, barring uh, kind of a, you know, another knee injury relapse that, uh, that he'll get that very, very easily. If it were you, and we'll, uh, we'll end right here, which of them would start game one of the playoffs? McElhaney. Yeah, I think so too. McElhaney would start, but as Alec and I talked about the other night, um, how many teams have an option in a playoff series in the, at that position? Most of them don't. And most of them, if they do make a goalie change, it's because they don't have a choice or there's an injury. Right. Um, but you're, you're, you're going to you're going to live and die with Henrik Lundqvist or Jonathan Quick or Carey Price. You know, the Montreal Canadiens get in a playoff series this season if they make it and there's there's not a chance Anthony Niemi plays <laughs> unless Carey Price is physically not able to play. Mm-hmm. So, um the Rod Brindamore will have a coaching option. He'll have a, a a competitive option within a playoff series if they get there to change the juice, change the mix jumpstart momentum based on a goalie swap. And and I think based on that, that Morozik would be my second guy in. Perfect. And I think Curtis would, you know, earn the opportunity to mm-hmm. start it. And then if there's any fall off, then here comes crazy man with the head, you know, jerking <laughs> around and these great. And I mean, because a team can feed off that momentum. And uh, when a team gets in a playoff series and the goalie's struggling, then I've seen it in the years I covered Minnesota Wild, where Dubnik had these sensational regular seasons, and then they get in the first round, and Devin Dubnik's not the same guy, and the team's mm-hmm. like, what happened here? And they're automatically, you know, psychologically going down. They're mentally already cooked because their guy's not the guy anymore, and there's no other option. In this case, if McElhaney's just not right, hey, game three, go get him, Pete. Yeah. You know, not a lot of teams are going to have that option. I hope they get the chance because that, you know, I would think if they do make the playoffs, just like the regular season, it could be a, a two-goalie equation. Uh, it, it worked for them in 2002. Correct. I, to an extent early, although uh really ended up not being a two-goalie situation. It was that way in uh, in 2006. Uh, but, yeah, the playoffs are a different animal. Uh, we just asked the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets and Sergei Bobrovsky, uh, who has right. been incredibly ordinary in the postseason. All right, we'll let you get uh, get back to whatever you're doing on a Thursday. I'll see you at the rink uh, for the game against the St. Louis Blues, the two hottest teams. in the. This could be a Stanley Cup Finals preview. Will you say that <laughs> Friday night in advance of the uh, the Canes and the Blues? Not sure I'll say that. Not sure. <laughs> 
but I'll, I'll just I'll think about it, all right? Thanks. All right, John. Okay. That's this week's Kane's Corner with Adam Gold. Download or subscribe to our podcast every Monday during the Carolina hurricane season in the iTunes or Google Play stores or listen at WRALsportsfan.com and on our WRAL Sports Fan app. And don't forget, for the latest Canes coverage, log on to WRALsportsfan.com. Every game on the Canes radio flagship, 99.9 The Fan. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.